Well, good morning, Cornwall Church here in Bellingham, uh, in Boca, also online. We understand there are folks listening and watching online today from Kansas and Idaho. Uh, in Port Angeles, Reese and Phyllis are joining us on the online stream. And a special greeting to my Skagit family as well. This is an exciting weekend. It's the final weekend of 2017. And as I was thinking about that this week, I came to the realization that I have not seen midnight on a New Year's Eve for, I think, two decades. <laughs> I am that kind of partying pastor. I, um, Sean and I were sitting there talking and, and realizing this together. We are East Coast New Year's Evers. So, yeah, there's two of us. Okay, so we watch the ball drop in New York City. We celebrate New Year's. We kiss, send the kids to bed, and then we follow soon after. And so I realized we have not been with hundreds of people gathered together on a New Year's Eve in a very long time. So for those of you that will be celebrating New Year's Eve at midnight tonight, let this be your rehearsal. And for all of us 9 o'clockers, this is going to be a party right here, right now. I thought, if you would indulge me, we would count down to a fake midnight. Yes, hoop and holler. You can kiss the person next to you if you know them or if you don't. All right, so here we go. We'll start at five. We'll get to one. Happy New Year. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year! There's, there's some kissing happening. All right. See, everyone's smiling. Everyone loves New Year's and New Year's weekend, the parties, the countdowns. Maybe it's the starting fresh, the starting over, or maybe, as Corinda mentioned, it's the resolution, the New Year's resolution. Losing weight, going back to school, finding a new job, exercising more. Resolutions all have one thing in common. They're all things that are things we control because we like control. Generally speaking, we are passionately closed-handed people. Generally speaking, we're closed-handed people in a passionate way. Let me just give you some examples from our family's life in the last 10 days. One night over the last week, Shauna asked me, where do you want to go for dinner? Well, that's an open-handed, I don't care, Sean. You pick wherever you want to go, we'll go. And we got, as we got ready for Christmas parties and whatnot and getting the Christmas haircuts, I sat down in the barber's chair and she said, how do you want your hair? Well, that's a closed-handed conversation because I know how I want this great do to look. <laughs> Later in the week, Shauna says, hey, when we get home for Christmas, do you want turkey or ham? Well, that's open-handed. I don't meat. I just want some meat at Christmas. A couple nights ago, Shauna, on her phone, we're sitting in the living room. She says, hey, Bri, I'm going to post this picture on Facebook. Well, that's closed-handed because I, sa I said to her, I want to see the picture. I, if I need to edit it or anything before it goes on Facebook, I need control over that. Maybe this is the greatest example, this moment sponsored by Xfinity. But here's the thing. <laughs> this device even has the word control in it. A remote control. Maybe you've been watching the last seconds of a Hawks game or, or about to see the reveal on Fixer Upper and someone, your kid, your, your spouse says, can I have the remote? And you say, not a chance. I'm in control of what we're watching. Wouldn't it be great 
If we could use this to control our lives, maybe mute somebody or switch to a different time and place with just the push of a button. And why is that? It's because we like to control things in our lives. We're convinced that we know best, that our way is the right way, and we do our darndest to convince ourselves this is true. Now, this is not a new example. In fact, if we look to the Bible, we can see an example as early as Genesis with Adam and Eve. God creates the first man, Adam, then Eve, places them in the Garden of Eden to care and to nurture for the land. He says, enjoy all that you see, except the one tree of good and evil. Eat from that tree, you'll surely die. Enter Satan in Genesis 3. We see this. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, that sounds pretty enticing, but God was pretty clear. Surely Eve would not take control of the situation and take matters into her own hands. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Goes on to say this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said... The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Men getting it wrong right from the beginning. (laughs) Later in Genesis, we see Abraham and Sarah. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Hagar, going to be part of the story as well. God promised Abraham many descendants. You remember this from the summer series. Ten years after the promise, Sarah still not with child, both of them seemingly on the verge of being not able to conceive children, or so they thought. And we pick up the story in Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Okay, not them too, right? Surely Abram would have faith that God would fulfill that promise. He'd make good that this plan of God's was worth sticking to. And Abram agreed. Genesis continues. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Example after example in the Bible Need I convince you more that we like to think we're good at giving up control, but we just aren't. We like to think that we are good at letting Jesus take the wheel, but the reality is we're way more comfortable with hands at 10 and 2. So how do we become open-handed people? I would offer it takes two things. It requires belief and surrender. In that order, belief and surrender. Belief is fundamental. Without a foundational belief that God is all he says he is, then there's no way you're going to surrender or give up control to him. For that reason, belief 
precedes surrender. If you're a parent, you have played this out with babysitters. You have to have had a belief in that person as a foundation before you would ever consider releasing your kids, surrendering your kids to them. Different example. This is a picture of my Uncle David. This guy. I had some of you fooled. I know. Okay. This is my Uncle David right here. He has flown for eight different airlines, four major jumbo aircraft, 30 smaller aircraft, every continent except two, and nearly 19,000 flying hours under his belt. So when it comes to me hopping on one of his flights, my belief in him as the pilot of the plane allows me to surrender any concern, any anxiety I might have because I believe in him. I believe that he knows best. The same is true with God. To be open-handed with God, it requires our belief in him. It takes our affirming in our heart and in our mind that God knows best and that God knows all that he knows best and he knows all. Author Anne Bronte said it this way quite succinctly. God knows best, I concluded, period. With that belief that God knows best and that God knows all, it is freeing to say, God, you know the course. God, you know the flight plan. So navigate away. And it's for good reason. We see this in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think the way we do, and we get in trouble sometimes when we expect that he should. We're made in his image, so we get to relate to God's thoughts, but we don't get to master them. And similarly, God doesn't act the way we do. He gets to act in his own way, his way. And we get into trouble sometimes when we think he should act the way we want him to act. So what that means is understanding that and a belief that God may not do what you want, but he'll always do what's best. He may not do what you want or how you want it or when you want it, but he will always do what's best. It's a good reminder for the next time God doesn't answer you right away or doesn't answer a prayer the way you think he should have. So here's what this means. To give up control on that which we hold dear, maybe it's our family, our job, our home, our car, our aspirations, or dare I say, our vacations, our finances, it means that while we know some of the story, God knows best, God knows all of the story. It's having a belief, a faith that God knows every detail of your story because he wrote your story. Your story is uniquely yours, written by the perfect playwright. I have a friend who is a screenwriter. He's written a couple of scripts and sent them down to Hollywood as he described the process, he said once he finishes the script, the screenplay, he has great anxiety about handing it over to the producer or the director. Because to him, it's perfect as it's written. 
but he knows it's going to be edited and changed when it gets down into the hands of the director or the producer. That's not the case with us, because God writes the perfect screenplay. We don't have to change anything about it. In fact, the Bible talks about this. It says this, do not be anxious about anything in Philippians. Now stop there. Notice that's not a suggestion. It's a command. Don't be anxious about anything. Goes on to say, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious in every situation. Pray with thanksgiving so that what? So that the peace of God, and let's stop there for just a moment. This week, as I was studying, I learned about the peace of God. In fact, when you read the Bible, you're going to see peace from God, peace with God. Those are different. And then the peace of God, which is a third peace, totally different. The peace of God referenced here is a peace that is beyond your mind's capacity, beyond your power of thinking, of understanding, which is why it says here, which transcends all understanding. This peace of God will blow your mind. And then what? Will guard your hearts. This peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, having a belief in God gives you that freedom from anxiety, and you get to experience this great peace One commentator said, you can visualize that God places a guard, a military guard on your heart and your mind. Giving up control in our lives begins with a belief that God can be trusted. As I said earlier, it's foundational. Begins with a belief that God can be trusted with your life. Now, when that is true for you, then comes the hard part. Because belief without action is nothing. And Cornwall, get this, this is when words matter. Giving up control is not giving in. It's surrender. Giving up control is not giving in. It is surrender. There's a subtle nuance that separates these two different actions. Perhaps best explained by American philosopher Taylor Swift, who said this, Giving up doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're just strong enough to let go. That's surrender. Surrender for a follower of Christ means it's us saying, God, I get it. You know best. You know all. So I'm happily willing to take a back seat. And surrender is a product of our trust. I trust you. So I'll surrender to you. Consider when David said this, when I am afraid, some versions will say unsure. So when I am afraid, when I am unsure, I put my trust in you. This is the David that defeated Goliath, that captains Israel's army. He never denied the presence of fear. In fact, there were times when he was clearly afraid. The difference is he knew what to do with that fear to boldly proclaim his trust in God despite that fear. Solomon, another who found God worthy to be trusted, despite our nature to put our trust in things or people, sometimes ourselves, 
was emphatic about telling us the same thing in Proverbs 3, 5. Maybe this is highlighted in your Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust here is an important word. Translated trust here means to lie helpless, to be face down. It's a posture. Come to me with your full and complete trust. He says with all of your heart. That's 100%. That's all in. Everything you are, everything you have, trust me with that. If trusting God is to be true, it must be complete. To put half trust in God and trust in something else really is a failure to trust God at all. A man who puts one foot on a a rock and the other in quicksand will surely sink. So we're called to trust with a posture that that expresses that trust with a 100% all-in heart and do what? Lean not on our own understanding. That means not focusing on what you don't know and not just relying on what you think you know. We're called to simply, completely trust God. In a couple of weeks, I will have been on staff here at Cornwall for two years. And some of you may not know this, but my wife and I are original Washingtonians. In fact, our story starts right here in Washington State. Shauna grew up in Yakima, Sela. I grew up in Federal Way. We grew up rooting for the Seahawks and the Sonics and the Mariners and the Huskies and the other team. And it was a great growing up here in Washington. We loved it here. We went to school here. We uh, had our first jobs here. We got married here. And a couple years after we got married, God moved us down to Oregon, to Bend, Oregon. Now, we had to Google, where is Bend, Oregon, Siri? We found it. It was in central Oregon near Sun River. We got down to Bend, and we were a little nervous, but we loved the area. We soon found great friendships in Bend. We found a wonderful church home in Bend, great jobs in Bend. Both our kids were born in Bend. We were sure we would retire in Bend, Oregon. We were living the life in central Oregon on the high desert. And then I remember getting the phone call about moving to Iowa. Now, I understand there's some recent Iowa returners here, so I want to be careful in this service. But let me just tell you, for us Pacific Northwesterners, this was shocking for us. We actually had to say to God, you must be talking to a different Brian and Shauna Mengel, because that's really far away. So after some real times with God saying, is this what you want for us? We had to come to him with a posture, with open hands saying, if this is what you want of us, to move our family away from all that we know to the middle of nowhere, I mean Iowa, it is going to be what we are going to do. That's what we're going to do. So we moved to Iowa. We have two years in Iowa. Now we can tell you the great things that came from that journey. Most of it was trust. Do you trust me enough for us to take a hard right right now in your life? So two years ago when Cornwall Church saved, I mean, uh, hired me, (laughs) it has been great. And that part 
is part of the trusting, the surrendering to God, his plan. He knows best. He knows all. He wrote the story, and Iowa was part of that story. See, sometimes surrender means giving up, trying to understand, and being comfortable with not knowing. Sometimes surrender, that action, means giving up, trying to understand. God, I need every single detail before I can say yes. Before I can sign on, give me everything. It's not that at all. Sometimes surrender is just not knowing. If you grew up in the church, you probably sang this song, I Surrender All, written by J.W. Van De Ventner. Judson was an American art teacher, went to school to be an art teacher. But he always had this feeling he was called to do something more. He said this of the inspiration of writing this song. He said, for some time, I had struggled between developing my talent in the field of art education and going into full-time ministry work. At last, the pivotal hour came of my life, and I surrendered all. A new day was ushered into my life. I discovered deep down in my soul a talent God had given me, and he had planted this song in my heart. The words in part say, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Now for the type A personalities in the room, let me address you as the link shakes in your hand. Surrender does not mean a lack of planning. We make plans, and we should. That's due diligence. That's smart. But those plans should be open-handed plans. Because sometimes you have to let go of what you had pictured so that you can have what God had planned. Proverbs 19.21 says this, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. It's smart, it's wise, it's prudent to make plans for what's coming in your life. But you got to do it like this. God, I'm planning this, but if you have something else planned, just intercede, and I'm going to be okay with that. I think we see this best in the silent member of the nativity story. Standing next to Mary, looking lovingly down at Jesus, there is Joseph. No recorded words in the Bible, but it's not his words I'm interested in, it's his actions. Clearly, Joseph is a man with a plan. Marry the high school sweetheart, take over the family business, start a family of his own, and then the news that rocks his world. His fiance is with child, the baby is God's son, an angel affirms the story, and it's Joseph's reaction that's worth noting. Wholehearted agreement. That's not to say, like David earlier, he didn't have some human fear. I'm sure he did. But his fear was trumped by his unwavering commitment to surrender to whatever God had in store. So his plans were out the window. God's plans, though unexpected, though carrying great amount of weight and responsibility, Joseph, he's all in. Oswald Chambers says this, 
There is only one thing God wants of us, and that is our unconditional surrender. Our unconditional surrender. Maybe that word unconditional gives you that lump in your throat. I think we can look to Jesus here for the ultimate example of how this plays out. In Luke 22, we find Jesus realizing the end is near. As you read Luke Luke 22, he's spending time with his disciples, but in this moment, he steps away from them to pray, to have a quiet moment with his Father, a prayer of surrender. Now look at this. He says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. That's surrender. That's a belief that God, his Father, knows best, that God knows all. That's prayer and petition, right? That's him saying, this is what I want. I'm not anxious about it. Here's my prayer. Here's my petition. But whatever you have, your will be done, not mine. Now, How does that work out for you in your life? Maybe for you it's saying, Father, if you're willing, would you help us buy this house? We have been saving. This is our dream house, but not our will, but yours be done. Maybe it's, Father, I really want this promotion. You know I've been working so hard and so long. We could really use the funds, but not my will, but yours be done. Perhaps it's, Father, my wife and I would love to have a child. We would give you all the credit as God-honoring parents. You know our heart's desire, but not our will, but yours be done. Or maybe it's, Father, would you rid me of this cancer? It is ravaging my body and exhausting me. A healing would be a testimony to everyone watching, but not my will, but yours be done. That's surrender. And surrender like that is hard. But it's a lot easier when you choose surrender over control and remember that surrender is not giving up. It's not throwing in the towel. It's saying, I I trust you. Here's my heart, but I trust you, whatever you think, whatever you have for me. So consider your life, your choices, your posture. Are you open-handed or are you closed-handed? Corrie Ten Boom, who was a Dutch watchmaker, maybe you know her story. She was a follower of Christ along with her family, and they helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust in World War II by hiding them in their family's closet. And she says this, hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. Isn't that the truth? We can go through life like this. That's not very God-honoring, and it hurts a lot when he says, I'm going to take control over this. Balance in our lives comes when we stop striving to control and we start desiring to surrender. 
There's a Christian band, 10th Avenue North. Maybe you've heard of them on the Christian uh, radio station. They are an outstanding group of men. I've had the chance to meet them a couple of times. And right now, this year, they are truly in the height of their success. They sell out concert venues. They've had hit after hit after hit on the radio. Just great God-honoring guys. But it was late this year that God tapped them on the shoulder and said, I know you've been doing amazing things for the kingdom and for me. But we're going to hit pause on all that. I want you to cut the tour dates in half, maybe even more. I want you to go home and be dads and husbands and lights in the community. And the guys of 10th Avenue North, this band, they said, well, hang on, God, are you sure you're asking us to do that? We can affect so many people if we do this. And he affirmed it. He said, no, 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 I want you to cut down all you're doing as a band and just go home and be husbands and dads. It rocked the Christian music world because they said, 10th Avenue North, what are you thinking? Out of that, their response was a song. The song's called Control. Here are some of the lyrics. God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me, and somehow that frees me to take my hands off of my life and the way it should go, to open my hands up and give you control. And so they're taking time off. Not what they had planned, but it's what God had planned for them. So they surrender to God. I've often described living in surrender to God is like riding a roller coaster. You know there's ups and downs and twists and turns and drops. It's a matter of when and where those will happen. But riding a roller coaster, it doesn't have, you don't have to be anxious or nervous because the track is there to guide you, to keep you safe. God is the exact same way. Belief and surrender to God is like preparing for the ball game, but being ready for the curveball. Now, I'm sure we all have resolutions for the new year, or maybe goals for the next month, or plans for the next week, and you don't need me telling you that sometimes those plans go awry. But when we place our trust in God and come to Him with open hands, we land on our feet safe and secure every single time. Gary Thomas, in his book, said this, Christian health is ultimately defined by how sincerely we wave our flag of surrender. What a great visual picture. In other words, a major way to measure our spiritual health is to determine how willing you are, how surrendered you are to God. So here's the challenge. We have hours left of 2017. And Pastor Bob, Pastor Kip always offer us a challenge. So here's the challenge. What if we went into the new year with a different posture? What might 2018 look like if we started the year open-handed? What if we choose to live anticipatory and not anxiously? Two very different actions. Anticipatory is, I know things are going to come, but God, I know you've got it under control. Anxiously, you don't need a definition for that because we live there. What if we unclenched our fists just enough 
without being anxious. And finger by finger, we offer what we hold so close, what we want to control, and instead we let God do what He does. You're thinking of something right now. What is it in your life that you have held on to so tightly that maybe, just maybe, God is saying, will you give me control of that in 2018? Will you surrender that to me in 2018? And if you do, if you go like this, what stories might you be able to share this time next year following a year of God-honoring surrender? What might that look like? We're going to close with a song here and in Skagit, the same song. And again, if you grew up in church, this will be familiar to you. Take my life and let it be. Skagit, I'm going to turn you over to Pastor Scott. I look forward to being with you guys again in the new year. And here in Bellingham, we're going to stand in a moment. And maybe you just need a a moment to let Jeremy and Corinda sing the first several words, lines over you. As you and God reconcile, okay, I've held on to this so long. I know you want control over this. Starts with just going like this. Or maybe you're ready to jump right in. If that's you, hands open wide. Would you stand as we close our service this morning?